In a sermon that I recently heard by Stephen Lawson, he said that he was asked one time what was the hardest passage of Scripture he has ever studied and taught. Well, he said that was a great question. He really didn't know what the hardest passage was for him, but that 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 3 through 16 where Paul addresses the issue of women and head coverings, he said that would certainly rank right up there as one of the hardest passages. And I think many pastors, many Bible teachers would agree with that. I certainly would. And for obvious reasons, this passage is just filled with interpretive challenges. Now, we've been working our way through some of these knotty interpretive theological issues, and tonight we'll address even more of those. But as I've told you before, when going through these verses, the one thing you want to keep in mind is that the primary thing that Paul is addressing is the issue of men being in authority and women being in submission. So only in a secondary sense is Paul talking about women in head coverings. Yes, that's true, but that was a custom of that day that displayed that a woman was in submission to her husband. The primary issue, though, that undergirds all of this and really forms the basis of Paul's argument is the timeless, the unchanging truth that God has created men, specifically husbands, to be in the role of authority over their wives, and women, specifically wives, to be in the role of submission to their husbands. That's the primary issue the apostle is addressing, and it undergirds everything else. See, the reason that Paul tells the women of Corinth to even wear a head coverings because in the Roman Greek culture of that day, a head covering was a symbol of her submission to her husband. And Paul is arguing, and he's making the arguments here for the Christian women to be in submission to their husbands and to demonstrate their submission by wearing a head covering when they attend church so as not to disgrace or put shame upon their husbands. And the way that Paul presents his argument is by giving several essential truths about the principle of authority and submission. The first one being, as we've already seen, is that God has established the concept of authority and submission as a universal rule and principle. So, Very quickly, we're going to go through this. Verse 3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So Paul begins by stating something that the Corinthians should have understood, but they apparently didn't because he said, I want you to understand this. And so they needed to understand this, that God has established an unbending eternal rule that permeates his entire universe, even within the Godhead, That rule being that in every relationship, there must be someone in authority and there must be someone in submission. There must be someone who leads. There must be someone who follows. Therefore, within marriage, God has ordained a man to be the head of his wife, to lead in a loving manner, giving her guidance, protection, not being passive at all, but aggressively masculine, and that a woman is to follow her husband by being in submission to him. However, there was a problem in the Corinthian church as some of the women were rebelling against their God-ordained role of being in submission to their husbands by refusing 
just refusing to wear a head covering when they went to church as a sign of their submission. They just said, no, we're not going to do it. So, having stated the essential truth that God has established the principle of authority and submission as a universal rule, even, as I said, even within the Godhead, the next thing that Paul does is he reveals exactly how the Corinthians were violating this principle by giving us a second essential truth about authority and submission, which is this. The principle of authority and submission is to be reflected, is to be demonstrated in the distinction between men and women. Verses 4 through 6 say, Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying, he disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then let her cover her head. Now, in these verses, Paul exposes the problem that was going on at this particular church. He says that if a man should come to church with his head covered and he engages in a ministry of prayer or prophesying, which is essentially teaching, he said this would be a disgrace to his head. And by head, here he means it would bring shame and disgrace upon Christ, who is his head. Why? Because Christ ordained this man to be an authority in his home, and yet here he is, he's wearing a head covering that symbolizes female submission to authority. In other words, he's saying, if you come to church with your head covered, you'll look like a woman. And that would bring shame to your Lord who created you to be a man and not a woman. Likewise, he says, if a woman comes to church and engages in the ministry of prayer or teaching and her head is uncovered, then she brings disgrace upon her head. Meaning what? Meaning her husband, because instead of accepting her God-ordained role of being in submission to him, she is flaunting her rebellious liberation from that role by looking like a man with no head covering. And if she does that, Paul says, well, then she might as well shave off all of her hair so that she would look like the rebellious women of their city who were immoral prostitutes. Now, there are a couple of things that I want to point out to you before we move on from these verses. Number one, I want to clarify what I didn't clarify last week, but I'm going to tonight, that when Paul speaks of women prophesying in church, he is not saying that women have the right to teach men or to preach to men or to lead in a worship service when men are present. He's not saying that at all. Paul has made it very clear, in fact abundantly clear, in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, that women are not to teach men when the church gathers to worship. Because whoever teaches is in a leadership authority position. So Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Paul said, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, folks, this is Paul's clear instruction, forbidding women from being in the leadership role of teaching men in the church service. However, the scripture does not prohibit a woman from teaching other women or teaching children. In fact, in Titus, Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the apostle tells older women, 
meaning those in the church who were mature, that they are to teach younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. So women do have a teaching role, teach other women or teach children. So when Paul speaks about the women of Corinth having some type of teaching ministry in their church, he wasn't contradicting what he would later write to Timothy about women not teaching men. He doesn't say in 1 Corinthians 11 who she was teaching, just that she wasn't allowed to teach without a head covering. That's all he's saying. So in light of the fact that you have Revelation Scripture where Paul clearly said that women were prohibited from teaching men, then he must have meant that the women of Corinth weren't even allowed to teach other women or children in church without their heads covered. Why? Because they would be in sin. Because they would be in rebellion to God's will to be submissive to their husbands. And in that spiritual condition, they were not qualified to teach. Because they would be in sin, known sin, rebellious sin. Second thing I would call your attention to is that Paul's teaching about how the men of Corinth should look like men by not wearing a head covering. And that the women of Corinth should look like women by wearing a head covering is incredibly relevant to what we are seeing today in our culture of men wanting to be women and women wanting to be men. Not only is this blatant rebellion to the Creator by refusing to accept the gender that God assigned them, but by trying to be their own Creator, by choosing their own gender, But it is not only rebellion, it is perversion. It is perversion of the highest degree. Listen, regardless of how mainstream transgendering has become and regardless of how acceptable it now is in our culture, it is not acceptable to God and it should not be acceptable to you as a believer in Christ. Your authority is the Word of God, not the standards of an ungodly society. So, having stated these two essential truths about authority and authority and submission, that God has established the concept of authority and submission as a universal rule, a universal principle. Number two, that the principle of authority and submission is to be reflected, it's to be demonstrated in the distinction between men and women. As Paul continues, he moves on to a third essential truth about authority and submission, which is this. The principle of authority and submission is based upon the original creation. It's based upon creation, verses 7 through 10. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, the essential point that the apostle is making in these verses is that God created man to reflect the glory of his own authority. He gave man dominion over the earth. He created woman, on the other hand, to reflect the glory of her husband as the one who has been given authority. And Paul bases this on the Genesis account of Adam being created directly by God and Eve being created from Adam for the purpose of helping Adam to rule over God's creation. And it's because of this order of creation that a woman should wear a head covering, Paul says, when she's in church, which Paul refers to here 
as a symbol, not of submission. It's unusual that he would say this. He says, not as a symbol of submission, but rather as a symbol of authority. And as I told you last week, what he means is that when she wears this head covering, then she has a God-given authority or a God-given right to minister in prayer or teaching when she's in the church. And she should do this, Paul says, because of the angels. He means holy angels, not demons, but holy angels, the most submissive of all of God's creatures because they're watching us. Angels are here tonight. We can't see them, but they are observing the church. And they're looking and seeing what women wear. And in that day, they are looking to see if she has the symbol on her head of submission to her husband. And if not, then they're offended by that. They're insulted by that. They can't understand that because they are holy in their submission. Now, this is where we stopped last Sunday with Paul arguing that the principle of authority and submission is based upon creation. But here's a reality. Whenever one teaches that men are to be in authority and women are to be in submission to a man's authority, there's always the potential danger of men abusing their authority by becoming insensitive dictators and tyrants to their wives. There are some men who that's all they think of. I remember years ago, one of the first counseling situations I ever faced, this couple walked into my office, first words out of the man's mouth, Pastor, you have to tell my wife she's to obey me. That's the first thing he said. That's all he thought about. He didn't think about loving her. He didn't think about being sensitive to her. He didn't think about being kind to her. But pastor, you have to tell her she's to obey me. She's to submit to me. So Paul recognizes that there is a potential danger. And so he takes the next two verses to bring some balance, some symmetry to his statements about men being over women. And he does this in order to guard men from taking their authority too far by abusing their authority. First notice what the apostle says in verse 11. He says, however, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. So having just explained that men were created to function in the role of authority and women were created to function in the role of submission to a man's authority, Paul now makes sure that no one, but no one misunderstands him. That no one interprets him as saying that men are superior to women and women are inferior to men. He is not saying that. He doesn't want anybody to think that he's saying that. He says, however, which is the apostle's way of saying something like, hold on a minute. Just hold on. Though I've just been telling you that men are to be leaders in the marriage, don't get the wrong thought here, the wrong idea. By leadership, I don't mean that a husband is greater, more important, or even more spiritual than his wife. On the contrary, the apostle explains, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor man is independent of woman. And what Paul means by this, folks, is that men and women need each other. They complement each other. They cannot exist without each other. In other words, just because men and women have been given different roles by God doesn't mean that they operate independently of each other. Each one is necessary to the other. See, what Paul is saying is that regardless of their differing roles or differing functions, a husband and a wife need each other. 
They need each other to form a family. They need each other to raise children together. They need each other in serving the Lord as a team. They need each other for mutual fellowship and mutual encouragement and mutual comfort and every other mutual issue in life. The Bible very clearly teaches that in Christ, men and women are equal before God in every sense of that A woman is just as redeemed as a man, just as spiritual as a man, just equal before God, even though they have different roles. No one is superior, no one is inferior. Paul said this in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Spiritually, we're all equals. That doesn't mean we don't have different functions, but we're all equals. It's so important, folks, that when we study a passage like this, like this one in 1 Corinthians 11, about the role of a man being an authority, the role of a woman being in submission, that we balance this teaching. And Paul understands that, and that's what he's doing here with the truth that men are not superior to women in any way. A man is just a created creature like a woman is. Sadly, though, some Christian men have indeed abused their authority by turning into oppressive tyrants or else they do the opposite and they're very passive and they're not leaders at all. But some men are oppressive tyrants. They show no love, no respect, no thoughtfulness, no sensitivity to their wives. They talk down to their wives by bossing her around while taking very little responsibility for helping to raise the children. They simply see themselves as ruling the roost, as we would say. Listen, this isn't biblical, not at all. This isn't how God designed men to function. Authority doesn't give them the right to be male chauvinists. In fact, when a Christian man behaves like this, he is acting more like a pagan than he is like a Christian. I say that because in the pagan world of the Apostle Paul's day, women were treated just just horribly horribly. And it was because of Christianity and the church that women were honored and treated well. One Bible scholar explaining the contrast between the treatment of women in Christianity and pagan religions said this. He said, far from oppressing women, the church has been the greatest liberator. In Greek and Roman societies, most women were little more than slaves. The possessions of their husbands who often virtually bought and traded their wives at will. It was largely because of this inhumane treatment of women that feminism became popular in the Roman Empire. In many Jewish communities, the woman's situation was not much better. Divorce had become easy and commonplace, but it was almost entirely the prerogative of the man. Some Jewish men held women in such low esteem that they developed a popular prayer in which they thanked God that they were not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. So the biblical view of men and women is that regardless of their differing roles, regardless of one being the role of authority, one being the role of submission to authority, neither are superior or inferior to one another. Instead, they are, note this, dependent upon one another. They need one another. And the proof of this, the proof of this that they need one another is they need one another at the most basic level just to exist. Notice what Paul states in verse 12. 
For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. So what Paul is doing, he is supporting his statement that men are not independent of women and women are not independent of men so that they need each other. Paul states that the woman, and here he means Eve, originated from man, meaning Adam, in that God literally created Eve from Adam. So Eve certainly needed Adam, the man, to exist because she was dependent upon the man for coming into existence. But notice what else Paul says. He says that man has his birth through the woman. In other words, just as women can trace their existence back to Eve being made from Adam, so today every man's existence is dependent upon a woman giving birth to him. This is Paul's proof of the equality of men and women and their need for each other. Women don't exist without man, and men don't exist without women. And both of them, Paul says, they owe their existence to God because they both originate from him. Now, so far in addressing the issue of women and head coverings, Paul has appealed, as you can see, he's appealed to the Old Testament truths from Genesis concerning creation. He goes back to Genesis to support his arguments. Specifically, how God created men to be in authority and women to be in submission to his authority. But as the apostle begins to wind down his arguments, he has one more Just one more essential truth he wants the Corinthians to understand concerning the principle of authority and submission. And it's this. Nature, nature itself teaches the principle of authority and submission. Not just the scripture, but nature. Notice what he writes in verses 13 through 15. He says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper... For a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. Some of you are getting a little nervous already. I know. So, having appealed already, having appealed to the principle of authority and submission based on the Bible's account of creation... Paul now challenges the Corinthians to consider what nature teaches them. And by nature, he means the natural order of things, what's obvious from what one observes in nature. In other words, Paul is saying that nature illustrates exactly what he's been saying, that God created men to be in authority and women to be in submission. And that's why women should pray with their heads covered, embracing their role of being in submission. So, What does the apostle mean by this? How does nature teach that a woman should wear a symbol of submission on her head? Well, Paul says that nature teaches this, note this, by the length of a man's hair and the length of a woman's hair. He says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Now, Paul states that for a man to have long hair, it is a dishonor to him and it is a shame to him. Now, Keep in mind, keep in mind, Paul, what he's not saying. He's not giving some legalistic rule about the length of a man's hair. 
He isn't saying that his hair has to be above his ears, his hair has to be above his collar, or it can't come down on his forehead. Paul is not saying that, so we can't read into this. What he is saying is that for a man to have long hair so that, note this, so that he looks feminine, that's what he's talking about, so that he looks like a woman, is wrong. It's disgraceful. It brings shame to him. In other words, a man should look like a man and he should look like a man so that nobody when looking at him from the front or from the back should mistake him for a woman. And that's exactly the point that Paul has made for why a man in Corinth should not wear a head covering in church because it would make him look like a woman, a submissive woman. Likewise, he says, but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Now, once again, we have to to look at this and, and not read into what the apostle is saying. He's not laying down some legalistic rule here for how long a woman's hair should be. Her hair should certainly be longer than a man's hair, but he doesn't say how long it should be. He isn't saying it has to be shoulder length or longer. He isn't telling her what kind of hairstyle she's to have. These are personal choices subject to the fashions of the day and culture. He's simply saying that nature testifies that women generally have longer hair than men do. And it is a glory to her, says the apostle, in that it reflects her femininity and it reflects her womanliness. And then Paul adds at the end, notice the end of verse 15, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Now, some have taken this to mean that Paul is saying that women don't have to have their heads covered in church as a symbol of their submission because their hair functions as a natural covering. That can't be. That just can't be what the apostle is saying because that would completely contradict everything he has said up to this point. He was going to say this, then say it right at the beginning and forget about women and head coverings. You see, what Paul is telling the women of Corinth is that they are to wear a head covering as a symbol of submission to their husbands and that even nature, even nature itself teaches this truth because her longer than men's hair is nature's way of hinting at the appropriateness of having her head covered. Folks, the primary issue here isn't really the length or the shortness of one's hair. The issue is that God wants men to look like men and he wants women to look like women. When you look at a man, you should have no questions that this is a man and his hair should reflect his masculinity. And when you look at a woman, you should have no question that she's a woman and her hair should reflect her femininity. That's what Paul is teaching. I want you to listen to these helpful words from John MacArthur as he explains the principle of what the apostle is teaching. MacArthur says, in modern cultures where the wearing of a hat or veil does not symbolize subordination, that practice should not be required of Christians. But women's hair and women's dress is to be distinctively feminine and demonstrate her womanly loveliness and submissiveness. There should be no confusion about male and female identities because God has made the sexes distinct. Physiologically and in roles and relationships, he wants men to be masculine, to be responsibly and lovingly authoritative. He wants women to be feminine, to be responsibly and lovingly submissive. And with this final truth that nature itself teaches the principle of submission and authority, Paul 
He's finished. He's finished arguing his case that the women of Corinth, when they come to church, they should wear a head covering. Now remember, the only reason that Paul even addressed this issue is because some of the women in this church were not doing this. They were not being submissive to their own husbands. They were going to church with their heads uncovered and it was basically scandalous and they were shaming their husbands. Bad enough to not be submissive in the home, but now they were letting everybody know in public. The whole church know that they weren't in submission to their husbands. And so Paul gives a summary statement in verse 16 as he, note this, he anticipates that there will be some pushback, that there will be some resistance to his teaching. And he has an answer for this resistance. It's found in verse 16. But if one is inclined to be contentious, notice Paul understands that some are probably going to be contentious. If one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Paul says that if anyone wants to argue about this, if anyone wants to debate about this, about what I've just taught concerning women and head coverings and the role of men being in authority and women being in submission, he says, we have no other practice. So who does he mean by the we? Well, he means he and the other apostles. We, the apostles. He and his fellow apostles. This is what all of us, he's saying, teach. All of the apostles teach this, not just me. And this is what all the other churches, he means the other churches in the Roman Greek culture, what all the other churches abide by. In other words, Paul has settled the matter. How? With biblical authority. This is what all of the apostles teach. And therefore, this isn't a matter to be debated. It's not a matter to be argued about Scripture and the apostles who have taught the Scripture settle the issue. Folks, that has to be our approach as well. Regardless of how out of step Paul's teaching about women in submission is with our culture, and it is out of step, praise God it's out of step with our culture, the Word of God says this, and that ought to settle the matter for us. And so all of us have a choice to make. Will you obey scripture or will you follow your anti-God, anti-biblical culture and what they say, which is changing all the time? So I ask you, husbands, will you lovingly lead your wife? Not lording it over her, not bossing her around, not being passive. Be a man, the scripture says. Act like men. Be an example for her to follow, for her to respect care about her, protect her, provide for her both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And husbands, you need to make sure that you don't look or act in any way feminine. God made you a man, act like a man, look like a man. Don't be passive. God made you a man, so look and act like one. And wives, the question is, will you lovingly submit to your husbands regardless of their spiritual condition? Will you trust God? Can you trust God to work through your husband? Respecting him, following him by listening to him, and yes, obeying him. Wives, also will you make sure that you look and act feminine? God made you a woman, so look and act like a woman, not a man. And once again, I say that this whole issue, this whole issue of obedience to this passage of Scripture comes down to one thing. It comes down to all of us being in submission to the Lord. When we are in submission to Christ's lordship, to his authority, there just is no debate 
Whatever he says, we bow to. We bow to his authority. We don't resist. We don't argue. We don't debate. We just say, yes, Lord, whatever you say. And we bow to his authority. And if you have never bowed to Christ's authority for your salvation, for your very eternal destiny, for your life, if you've never said yes, Lord, to Christ as your Lord, then I urge you to do so. I urge you before it's too late, before you die, and we're given no promise that any of us are going to live through the night, make sure that you know Christ. Submit to him. Turn your life over to him as you trust him as your Savior and Lord. Let's pray to him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. I, I agree with Steve Lawson. It is hard, but it can be understood. All Scripture is God-breathed and all of it is profitable, so this is profitable. Even if we don't have the custom that they had back then, we certainly have the truth of authority and submission. And I pray, Lord, that every husband will take these things to heart and obey, and every wife will take these things to heart and obey. And I pray, Lord, that all of us will make sure that we know Christ as Lord, as Savior, and bow to His authority, Lord, and say yes to Him and trust Him. I pray that what we've heard today, this morning, this evening, that you'll have your word dwell in us richly, even as we go our, our way out of here. And may we, as we enter the mission field, Lord, may we be people who share the gospel, being confident that you will work in the hearts of some. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.